Yeah, and it's one of the things I think that makes it hard to benchmark something like agriculture because because the limiting factors and the and the way you would measure profitability on an urban farm would be really different than how you would measure a farm, um, you know, measure land on a or, or measure profitability on on a hundred acre vegetable farm. Right. You know, the, in the city, the the per the dollars per acre is you're going to be your driver. When you've got a hundred acres of vegetables, it's going to be the dollars per hour of labor today's episode of the ruminant podcast part two on herb production with a focus on harvesting and here's the guy who's going to talk about it i'm chris blanchard and i uh, run a company called uh, called the purple pitchfork we do uh, education consulting and uh, and working with farmers on on business systems uh looking at ways to help uh, help farmers make their jobs easier and be able to, to create more successful outcomes. I spent 25 years farming myself and uh, have been doing the, the consulting and education work uh, on, the, on the tail end of my farming experience and then now I'm doing that full time uh, for about six years now. This is the Ruminant Podcast, a show that ponders the best way to farm. The ruminant.ca is the website, editor at the ruminant.ca is the email address, and at Ruminant Blog is where to find me on Twitter. I'm Jordan Marr. All right, let's go. Hey folks, this episode features part two of my conversation with Chris Blanchard about culinary herb production. This time we focus on harvesting herbs. Chris has some useful insights to share about managing an herb crop in a way that's similar to managing an intensively grazed pasture. This guy's smart. Take notes. But first, I have some wonderful news. I just received the first voicemail left at the Ruminant hotline. You'll recall that this is the Skype number with a Beverly Hills area code no less. I set up to allow you to call in to leave a short message to share with other farmers here on the podcast. I'm looking for good ideas you've employed on your farm or in the garden. Anyway, I finally received a message. Let's take a listen. Hey, my name's Jack and the name of my farm is none of your business. The farm hadn't been doing very well until recently when some weird guy at a gas station walked up and offered me some magic beans. He wanted to trade them for a cow, but all I had on me at the time was an old VCR I was taking to the thrift store. He wasn't interested at first, but when I offered to throw in my Blockbuster video card, we had a deal. Joke's on him, though. That card's expired, bud. Anyway, I planted the beans, and next morning I looked out to the garden and discovered a beanstalk. It was a mile tall if it was a foot. There wasn't any golden egg laying goose at the top like that dumb fairy tale says, but you should have seen the beans on this thing. They were bigger than me. I harvested a couple and brought them to some local chefs, and they offered me better prices than black truffles. They put them on their menus as gourmet thunder beans, but I call them scarlet gunners. Anyway, that's my tip for your listeners. Magic beans. Hope that helps. Love your show. Thanks, Jack. And by the way, You sound really handsome. Now everyone, imagine if I had a tip like that to share on every episode. Only you can make that happen. 310-734-8426 is where you can leave a message. I'd really appreciate you doing it. It'd be really fun to share some of your ideas. Okay, so that's about it, except if you like the podcast, please help me promote it. All of these episodes can be found at theruminant.ca which makes it easy to share a link to each one on your Facebook or Twitter account. And while you're at it, write me an email to request a guest or let me know what you think about the show. Editor at theruminant.ca All right, here's part two with Chris Blanchard. Talk to you at the end. Okay, 
Okay, so let's let's move on to harvesting now, and I think this is a crucial topic. It seems like, in terms of your 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 uh, your increase in focus on herbs, you you made some big changes to how you harvest and maintain the the crop uh, to make sure it's productive and, and profitable. Um, yeah, so you know, if we had a hundred plants out there when we started, you know, if I had a hundred plants at a time, I'd go out and I'd kind of look and I'd go, oh look, here's the here's the the twenty five or the fifty plants that are that are nice and big, and that's the ones I'm going to harvest off of. And so we'd kind of bounce down the row, picking off of those, and maybe we'd only pick half of one plant because half the plant would be bigger than the other half, you know, and you do that once or twice and pretty soon your herb patch is a complete mess. And then you've got stuff that's trying to go to flower. And what do you do about that? And, and, and I, I had, we were actually uh, raising sheep at the time and, and we were, um, and I've, and I've been a, a big fan of holistic management and, and the kind of the managed grazing process that goes along with that since I got involved in agriculture. And we re I, I had this aha moment where I said, you know, we need to be applying a grazing wedge to our harvest. So what we, what we started doing was instead of kind of walking through the field, cherry picking the best stuff, we always started at one end of the bed and we cut everything in the bed. So if I, if I start at one end of the, you know, I'm, I'm at the, I'm at the, let's see, we did the, we did the West end of the bed. We always started at the West end. So if I'm at the West end of the bed. I'm going to cut from the West to the east, I'm always going to go in the same direction, and I'm going to I'm going to cut cut it down every plant back to the same level. So if I'm if I'm harvesting something like sage, I'm taking about a third of the plant. If I'm harvesting thyme or oregano, I'm giving it a crew cut. If I'm harvesting mint, I'm going right down to the ground. Um, we're going to take we're going to take the plant right back to that level throughout until we have what we need for the day and then we're going to stop so now i've got that that whole bed has been that whole west end of the bed maybe it's 15 feet out of a hundred foot bed has been has been harvested and it's all at the same level it looks like you gave the plants a crew cut you know like you just went over it with some clippers then when i come back the next time to harvest i start where i left off and i start picking from there and i take another 10 or 15 feet and I'm going to do the same thing the next time. So now the block that I harvested two weeks ago is starting to grow back, and it's all growing back at the same rate from the same point. So I've got a uniform block behind me to harvest. I've got a wave of product in front of me that's ready to harvest. And then I've got the stuff that's been, that I'm picking today, which is all getting cut back to the same level. And, and Chris, with, with most of the, with most of the herbs we're talking about, is it kind of for a, for a given block that you're actually plant, you're actually harvesting? Is it kind of a scorched earth thing? Like you're just mowing them down? Like, Oh, um, yeah. I mean, so with the exception of rosemary, so rosemary, we harvested stem by stem, but everything else, what we discovered is that the cost the cost wasn't in growing the herb, okay? For us in, in our marketplace, the cost was 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 in um, was in the harvest, and then it was in the packaging. So we learned that to do the heart. So we actually worked backwards from this. So the packaging, putting the herbs in the plastic bags, or or eventually into the plastic clamshell containers, took more time than anything else that we did. So. What we would do is we, we learned you cut the herbs to exactly the height that you want them 
to go in the container. Our containers were seven and a half inches tall, so we cut the herbs to seven and a half inches. And and, and, and guess what? You you found a, a snipper from Johnny's that was right about that length. So your 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 perfect. laborers even had a reference point in their hands for how long to cut them. Yeah, you certainly never want to be telling a, a picker to pick seven and a half inch um, lengths of something. You got to give them something to yeah. measure. So it was great that the snips from Johnny's were were exactly right to do that. So we would we would cut we would always cut to that length. And so maybe let's take mint as an example, because we did a lot of spearmint. So maybe my spearmint would be 12 or 14 inches tall. We would just harvest the top eight inches of that. And, and then once that harvest was, was put away in the cooler, we would come right back out and we would cut down what was left after we'd harvested. We would cut that patch down, right down to the ground, chop it all off. Okay. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, when you got done, it was, it was scorched earth. Now something like, something like sage again, you know, sage has that very strong central stem. It's a, it's much more of a, of a, of a bush than it is a, a, you know, a a shrub or a mound. It's, it's really got that strong, it it looks like a plant is supposed to look, you know? Um, and so on those kinds of herbs, you want to take about a third of the plant, but we didn't cut stem by stem we would we would actually go out and just give the give the plant a, a trim it was like like cutting a hedge you know you guys have boxwood hedges out there in in british columbia and so it was just like trimming a boxwood hedge you just take eight inches off the top of it and then you know you had a bunch of leaves that got cut in half you just let those fall on the ground and then you you put the the rest of the stuff in the tray um and and then you again you got nice even regrowth that way you'd taken the whole plant back to the same level and every plant in the field had been taken back to this or every plant that you were harvesting that day had been taken back to that same growth point it made the maintenance super easy and i think the the large takeaway point here that you that you make in your articles is that you really need to figure out what's costing you the most in your case in it's labor and i suspect that would be the same for anyone doing this kind of herb production and therefore you don't you don't go out of your way to get the most dollars out of each bed you go out of your way to harvest it so that it reduces your labor costs to a maximum is that about jordan i was yeah on on spearmint um i was making two hundred thousand dollars an acre on my spearmint (laughs) now i couldn't I didn't have a market. Now, again, this is the herb business, so I didn't have a market for an acre of spearmint. But that is if I had taken the beds that I had and I multiplied those out. It came out to something like $200,000 an acre. So if I only – if if I grow more spearmint than I need um, so that I can so that I can maximize the efficiency of my harvest – so what if I only make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars an acre, or two, or hundred, even a hundred thousand dollars an acre? That's still far more than I was making than I'd be making off of any other crop that I could plant in that place. Now, I also had to grow crops like chives, where where we weren't making nearly that much money, and where the labor was super intensive. In fact, we lost money on chives, but we made so much money on the spearmint that it made up for it. We had to, for our situation, marketing retail, we had to have the whole line. Um, so yeah, trying to think again, what's going to make, what's going to make my slow step the easiest. And this is actually a really important business concept for farmers. I think, 
uh, no matter what. I, I was, I was right? going to say, Whatever. Chris, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to step in with an example of my own. I mean, you can apply this to so many crops that a market gardener grows. Certainly. I look at my, my, my densely planted, uh, greens beds for salad greens. The, the most efficient harvest is the first harvest. And I think there's always a, a real, uh, you can fool yourself into thinking, well, you know, it took those greens four or five, six weeks to grow. I'm going to leave that bed in for three more weeks and just keep cutting off of it. But each successive cut takes a lot more labor. It slows you down. And I think there is a balance to be struck at a point where you say, no, I'm turning this bed under and getting a new bed in because that eventual harvest is going to be way quicker. And it's the labor that costs so much. Is that? Well, and, and depending on where you are now, Jordan, if, if you're farming on a quarter acre in the middle of the city where there's no potential for you to have more land to harvest from, maybe maybe labor is actually abundant for you, but land is really scarce. And then that second cut and that third cut is going to become really important. And you're going to put a lot of emphasis in making sure that that, that can happen. And even if it takes, even if it's a slower harvest, you know, when land is the limiting resource, then you really want to focus on making the most of every square foot. Oh, that's, a, that's a good right? point. It's a good point about you really also have to figure out your conditions and, and where your costs are. Yeah, and it's one of the things I think that makes it hard to benchmark something like agriculture because because the limiting factors and the and the way you would measure profitability on an urban farm would be really different than how you would measure a farm um you know, measure land on a, or, or measure profitability on, on a hundred acre vegetable farm, right. you know, the, in the city, the, the per, the dollars per acre is you're going to be your driver. When you've got a hundred acres of vegetables, it's going to be the dollars per hour of labor. You know, it's how much money can some, can your pickers produce? And that's where we were. We didn't have a hundred acres, but even at our 20 acres, that's really where we were with the herbs was how much, how much production can we get out of our people was far more important to us than how much production can I get out of my, how many dollars can I get out of a bed of herbs? So, so two more topics. I mean, we could cover, there's so much more to cover. I'm just going to have to say people need to go to growing for market if they want to get all the details from your articles. And I I think a little later, you're going to talk about another document you've produced on herb production. Um, But, uh, well, and and Jordan, I mean, I'm, I'm going to jump in here and I'm going to say growing for market. I, I've been reading growing for market since 1993. I've never missed an issue. And I think, um, I mean, if, you you need the it's chock full of good information and I mean I those I'm 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 pretty proud of those herb articles I thought they were I thought they were good and I was fun to take that opportunity to summarize what we've been doing but there's always tons of good information and in growing for market and you never know where that piece of information is going to come from that makes a difference in your operation I, I mentioned we came up with the the model that we needed to use for harvesting the herbs from reading about rotational grazing where where the goal is to keep the plants from going to flower and to maximize your vegetative growth and they use the same kind of technique and we didn't who, who would have thought that 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 we were going to learn about herb harvest from reading about rotationally grazing cows okay and so you know if, you, if you're in the business of farming um, i mean growing for market is i almost think an absolute must i mean 
I, I think it's you don't I almost go so far as to say it's the differentiator between a between an amateur and a professional. If you're a professional, you're taking the time to read those materials, read the information that's out there, your trade magazines that are targeted towards your industry to give you fresh new ideas for how you can improve your business. And I think growing for market is the best resource I'm, out there. I'm certainly enjoying it now that I'm finally subscribing. So I, I so far I can I can back up what you say. Um now, now back to, to harvesting of herbs. Um, you bet. One really quick, easy one that just came up for me, you know, going, thinking again about a farm that isn't doing this super seriously, but is, it's kind of an afterthought with their herbs. What are your thoughts on harvesting by tearing with your hands versus having a good quality pair of snips? How important is it? Wow, I, I would never even think about tearing by hand because I just I don't think there's any way you could do that without bruising the leaves. Um, so I think, I think those, those, uh, flower snips or herb snips from Johnny's and, and Jordan, is that something you want to put in your show notes? I can get you the link for, I'll, for I'll follow for up that. with you for sure. Yeah. Or I, I, I you've right. got the description in your article so I can post a link to, to those specific snips. But I, I know, I know I, there's certain herbs I've, I've, uh, torn just because I'm in a hurry and I, I read your article and I was thinking, I don't think Chris would approve of that. No, you know, I think. You got to treat the plant with some respect. I mean, you you know, when you're tearing the herbs, you're you're going to be putting pressure on the roots and kind of kind of unsettling those. And I think you're you're just likely to bruise the bruise the stems or the leaves. And uh, once you do that, then the plant's going to start deteriorating that much faster. Okay. Um, we always talk when when we're harvesting when we're harvesting plants. I mean, roots obviously are root crops are an exception to this. But anytime you're harvesting leaves, you want to be holding on to the air around the plant rather than the plant itself. Okay, so you you don't you know you want to be thinking of it that way. You're cradling this product. You're not you're not grabbing it. Right. You know. Um, so. And this was especially important with crops like the salad greens. But yeah, you bruise a you know you bruise a spearmint leaf. Um, it's going to be the you know it's it, it only takes one bad apple in the barrel to ruin the entire barrel of apples. You know you got to If you have a bad leaf, that's gonna that's gonna start to affect everything else right. on that uh, on that harvest. So. Okay, and then one really crucial thing we haven't talked about is you you already described that when you go when you send your when you're out going for harvest, you're you're picking for the for the labor in packaging. So if we take the example of the spearmint that you mentioned, it's a lo- really tall plant. You're only taking the top 8 inches. So there's another crucial step. You're then sending a crew out back after the harvest to to maintain the crop so that the next time you return to that same block, it's in good shape so that so can you talk about crop maintenance yeah so again that i mean that that cutting back we always think of harvest and maintenance they go together they're you're you're always doing both and the harvest isn't done until the maintenance is complete so we would we would you know we harvest that top eight inches and then if we if there's extra left underneath we're coming back and cutting that plant back down to the right level so something like sage we didn't we we didn't have to come back and cut that back to the right to a to a certain level but thyme and oregano want to get cut down to maybe a half inch or three quarters of an inch from the from the soil from the surface or from the stem or from those horizontal stems um so you just don't have much growth because you want it to come back nice and lush and even for for good high quality easy to harvest stuff the next time with the with the mints we cut those suckers right down to the ground and we used to have to i mean 
you try to get you try to get people out there who think they like plants and like cutting them back down to the ground that just doesn't make sense to them but the mint really does want to be cut right down to the soil surface and and then you're going to get nice lush regrowth from all of those horizontal stems and rhizomes and and that's really what you want and it comes up nice and even and then when the next time you come back to harvest then you aren't going to end up trying to pick you know if if you've got a 4 inch let's say you've got a 4 inch spearmint stub You've cut off the top of it. It's going to start. the The growth is going to come out from the side branches, and so now you've got this this little spearmint stub down there. So if next time you come back and harvest, you might be getting into that that old stub, which is now going to be a little bit woody, and maybe it's going to be a little bit pokey. I don't want that going into my into my herb packages. I want nice, fresh, lush green herb so we cut that right down to the ground so that we're never getting back into the old material and then another thing you're absolutely methodical or even ruthless about is is any any sign that the plants are going to flower so i took really important thing that i that i found from a management perspective was to go out every week on my farm i had i had time it was typically on sundays um, which I, I don't like to admit that I worked on Sundays, but I did do it, was to go out and, and walk to every field every week and go, what's going on here? Let me assess. And so I, at that time, I would look at those plants and see if there was any sign of flowering. And there's the plants on the, the herbs, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking particularly like thyme and oregano, they have this funny thing that they do when they're getting ready to flower where, where it's like the growth kind of starts to bunch up at the top of the stem. So it might go from being from the, from having things being kind of regularly spaced to having kind of this, this tighter look to it. It's almost, I, I don't know how to, I, I'm sort of I'm, I'm I'm bunching my hands together and curling my fingers and bouncing them up and down. That's that's what it I looks think. Like. I've, I think I've and, seen humans look like that when they really want to procreate as well. There's just, <laughs> just you you can see it, and so you want to you want to look at that plant and you see it's going to get it's ready to flower. Then you have to you have to cut back all of the plant that's ready to flower, and that's where this harvest wave makes such a big difference because you've got something that's um you've got fresh growth coming behind you, and now you can cut back this all of this excess that is that is getting ready to 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 flower and go to physiological maturity, and and. You know, it, again, it's really hard. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a leftist hippie. You know, I, I, I'm big on, on, on food, and I, I watch these documentaries about food waste, and they make me feel guilty. And, but you know, you gotta cut it. We'd cut it and throw it on the ground, okay? Because that's how I'm gonna keep my plants in production. Um, if you were, I mean, maybe if you were uh, cooler than I was, you'd you'd take that harvest and you would you'd put it in your um, you'd put it in your dehydrator or your big drying room, and you could get dried herbs that you'd have value added to do in the winter. That could be really great, but but you got to get in there and cut it down. This is where I think a CSA, you know, if, you, if you've got a CSA and you're going to farmer's market and you're selling your herbs wholesale, this is where you can really use the CSA to help you manage your herb supply because it's the week that you give the CSA time is the week before the time flowers. So it's when you go out there and you go, that stuff's getting ready to think about flowering. I'm going to I'm going to cut it all back right now and put it in bunches and now I've got 50 bunches. And those of time. bunches can be 10 inches cuz you're not putting them in the clamshells. So do I have that right? That's yeah. right. 
Yeah, you make them as big. Yeah. And so you just cut cut that stuff back and get it out of there. We actually had an arrangement with a with another CSA farm uh, that was larger than ours so that when we had surplus herbs like that, we could if we had if we had enough labor available actually harvest, you know, 800 bunches of, of, of an herb and sell it to this other ah. CSA and then they distribute it to their members. So that was a way to, to manage a supply. But if we didn't have that, you just cut it and put it on the ground right. um, because that's what's going to keep the plant growing. You've got to keep it in vegetative mode. Once it starts to flower, you're screwed. Okay. Because once it begins to flower, then the plant's going to keep on pumping out flowers until you let it think that it's done with that reproductive cycle. So it really has to get to the point if you miss cutting back, then, you know, and you start and you've got flowers, you have to wait until those flowers have actually turned brown and died. So they've been pollinated, they've kind of gone through their, their physical cycle, and the plant's thinking about starting to make some seeds. Then you can. That's the point at which you can take that plant back and turn it vegetative by cutting it back, but you have to wait until it's done right, with that right. process. And that can take several weeks. And now you've got this whole bed of flowering time that and 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 vaguely, you know, I mean not just not just a little bit of flowers, but lots of well, flowers. That, no, that's that's when you get into the mess place. that we talked about at the very start of the of this conversation. Yeah, yeah that's what my time looks like all right. the time. <laughs> Right. And, and that's because I, I'm guessing that you're kind of going out there and you're picking a little here and you're picking a little there. So now you've got some flowers all over. There's no easy way to maintain that. Um, and that's where I think, again, as a, as a CSA farm, if you really want to add value with those herbs, this, this need to cut things back right before they flower becomes a really, a really great tool that you can use to keep your CSA and herbs, but also to manage that that plot. Oh, totally. No, it makes will. a lot of sense. So, so, so listen, Chris, I, I, I'm going to finish up the harvest topic with kind of a selfish question, but I think, I think this one will be even more relevant to all of us who aren't doing herbs in a big way. I mean, all of us, oh man, every market gardener is doing basil, right? And, um, yep. we take, we're pretty particular about how we harvest our basil, but I suspect it's not how you harvest yours. And I'm really wondering, so you treat basil, let's just, I, I, I think more or less as an annual in a lot of the case, you're starting from yes. seed um, and you're replanting it every year, new plants. Can you just talk about, do you, do you harvest the basil in the same way? Are you like taking, are you doing it in blocks or waves and you're just taking the whole plant when you harvest? Well, we wouldn't, with, with something like basil, we wouldn't be taking the whole plant when we harvest, but we'd be taking that, we'd be taking about a third of the plant when we harvest because we want it to keep on coming. Again, it's it's got that tree form like a sage plant does, you know, strong central stem, branches coming off of that. So we would take the top third of the plant. But yeah, we would just crew cut it because again, my limiting factor is labor. It's not the amount of basil that I can get off of a, off of a plant. If I was really worried about the amount of basil I could get off of a plant, I'd then I would be going through stem by stem. And in fact, you know, we would, when we were selling some, when we were selling bulk basil instead of putting it in the clamshells, you know, yeah, sometimes we would go through and, and really be careful about how we were picking it. Um, the stuff that comes out of California, a lot of times it's 10, 12 inches long and it's ugly and it's beginning to flower. If you can, I mean, if you can beat that, you know, you're, you're going to be doing good. You know, so getting in there, you know, you got a nice six or eight inch piece of basil. It's nice and young and fresh. Then that's really, that's really good. So in that case, like this is another thing I'm interested in. Are you harvesting some stem? Because one way to approach it is just, just the, the kind of, not the buds, but you know what I mean? Like you're just picking off like little, like the larger leaves almost and leaving and leaving yeah. the tiny ones underneath. 
uh, at each kind of node. Um, but it sounds like you, we always thing with some stem. We always felt like it was, yeah, it was, it, we, we, we did want it to have some yeah. stem because you know, how much does a basil leaf weigh and how much does a basil stem? Oh, weigh? I mean, in our case, we're charging a lot more for it we, I mean, with the chefs, for instance, cause yeah. it's premium. They don't have, they don't right. have to do that labor. It's premium. Um, and that's where you got to know your market, yeah. right? We, we used to spend a lot of time trying to do extremely premium basil. We couldn't get a premium price for it. We, you know, because of the, our market, we weren't selling to restaurants. Yeah. So we, we weren't able to, to, to capture the upgrade that we would have needed to make it worthwhile to go and just, you know, to really do what, what we would think of as being leaf cut. Basil. Okay. So, so what I want to know then is in terms of how you harvested it, you come and take the top third of the plant. What about maintenance? Are you coming back later in the day and just like mowing it down way to the bottom or, or is it different with basil? No, just, just the top third and then, of the plant. So then the next time you come around, it's, it's regrowth. It's regrown that top third essentially. Okay. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Thank you for helping no, me. No, no, no. I'm that. asking because, because I'm thinking of, of shying away from just the leaves because, uh, I, the labor is, is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It takes forever unless you got really fast people. Well, listen, Chris, there's, there was a whole other subject that you focused on in your third article for growing for market, which is on post-harvest handling. I think I'm going to, I'm going to leave it for today. This is a lot for, for listeners to take in. And we're, I know you've offered the time to talk, but I like to keep my episodes to a certain length. And, and this was great. So uh, perhaps I'll ask you back sometimes to finish off the topic. Um, but before awesome. we end today, uh, there's a couple things I think you should talk about. Um, you first, first off, you do have another document on herbs that you've produced. Is that right? So what I, what I did, so we've, I, I put together a, I put together a, a quick sheet based on some of the things that I knew we were going to be talking about today, kind of summarizing important pieces about, about the, um, about herb production. Cause I think there's some things that, well, a picture's worth a thousand words and, and it's awfully hard to be writing down your notes about, you know, is our chives something that gets treated as a simple perennial in a three-year rotation, or is it something that we're going to do as, as a growing it more like we do vegetables? So I put some of this information, nice summary information, a quick one-page sheet together just for listeners of the Ruminant podcast. And I put that, on, I've got it on my website. It's at the Farmer to Farmer podcast slash Ruminant. Farmer to Farmer podcast.com slash ruminant. So that's R U M I N A N T, name of the show here. And that's that's something special that I put together for listeners to your show. Right on, Chris. Thank you. Uh, now, what a, one more thing, at least one more thing. You, you're, you, you've got a, you've, you're cooking up a, a podcast of your own, are you not? Yeah, that's right. We've actually, well, and, and hopefully by the time this show goes live, we're going to have that. We're going to have that launch. So it's called the Farmer to Farmer podcast. We're working with farmers all around the all around North America to to just kind of suss out some of the stories of of being a farmer. What kinds of perspectives people can bring to that? And you know, I think one of the great things that we've had in in the organic and sustainable agriculture movement is there is this. You know, it's it's about so much more than just one person. You know, the everybody shares in this community and i think it's really a great opportunity to 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 bring people together to 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 share what they've got to share their stories and there's so many things that we have to learn from other growers and um you know we talked about this with with regards to growing for market it's you you never you don't know what you don't know 
And you never know where that piece of information is going to come from that really makes a difference in your operation. And so we're looking at, at uh, you know, trying to get some of the best growers, but also working with beginning growers, anybody that's doing anything uh, original or interesting in regards to agriculture, bringing them on the show and, and, uh, and talking to them. That sounds really cool. I, I can't wait till uh, till it's going. You'll certainly have uh, you'll certainly have a subscriber in me, Chris. Well, thank you, Jordan, and and uh, I've I've already got the subscription to yours, so we'll uh, we're good good trade back there. Um, and right. uh, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. Jordan, nice nice job with the interview. Thank you for setting a good example. <laughs> <laughs> it really, Jordan, it was my pleasure to be here. I just, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to talk with you and, and, uh, and, and, you know, share some of what I learned over the years. It's really, uh, it's, it's fantastic. And I think this, this community of, this community of people that we've got that are dedicated to, to sharing information and facilitating the sharing of information is something that's, that's unique and very special in our organic and sustainable and local food movement, something you don't find in other places. We're very lucky. Agreed. Thanks again, man. That's it for that episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Next week, we'll feature a conversation with a gentleman who is a wine expert and he makes the case for the important role that wine plays in developing a food culture, as well as he explains why he thinks wine has a role to play in increasing food security. It's a really interesting conversation, and I hope you'll tune in, and I will talk to you then. Last thing I'll say, please, please consider helping me promote the podcast. You can promote it on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, or you can go, if you subscribe in a particular podcast directory like iTunes or Pocket Capture, any of the many, many uh, different ways to subscribe to podcasts, consider going and giving me a ranking, uh, rating my podcast uh, within that directory. It helps uh, place it higher in uh, when people search for, for podcasts on related topics. Okay, everybody, have a great week. Talk to you next Wednesday. That is trying to bleed us dry We could be happy with life in the country With salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands I've been doing a lot